Ladies and gentlemen, for the third time, the Democrats are obstructing the emergency stimulus package. And none of this makes any sense because the Democrats and the Republicans actually agreed upon the bill in the Senate in the early hours of this morning. They had already blocked it twice before. The Democrats actually won in their negotiations and got the Republicans to put many of the things they wanted in this bill. And at 1 a.m., it was celebration. We have an agreement. We will move forward. And many expected Nancy Pelosi to expedite this bill to get it through because the American people are hurting, businesses are shutting down, and our country is facing dire straits. Yet this morning, we learned that Nancy Pelosi decided to hold a pro forma session, meaning they were in for just about a minute. It was a formality. They didn't actually do anything. Pelosi says she's not sure how she'll move forward and they will reconvene tomorrow. Now, I could understand if there were some things in this bill that are potentially bad. Republicans aren't perfect, neither are Democrats. But hold on. Both parties agreed to this. Why is Pelosi obstructing now? Why can't she just go in and pass this bill? They were talking about unanimous consent, meaning if everyone who's there just agrees on it, it could be pushed through very, very quickly. Vox.com, left-wing media, was saying they expected this. And no, it is being stalled. And now we're hearing again that Andrew Cuomo of New York is urging Pelosi to, to not pass this bill. I don't know what they expect. Beggars can't be choosers. We are already looking at one of the largest stimulus, the, the largest stimulus package in the history of this country. What more do they want? It's an emergency. If the Democrats negotiated this and the rest of them can't come together to pass this bill, we are in serious trouble. But I think what we're seeing is the Democrats completely fractured. They don't even know what they're trying to get at this point, And it's holding the rest of us back. All of this is happening at the same time that Donald Trump's approval rating is through the roof. A recent poll from Gallup showed that Trump's approval rating is tied for the highest it's ever been. And on his handling of the global pandemic, 60% approve. He's winning over independents and Democrats. And I can only imagine that people are starting to see through the lies of the media and the Democrats because lo and behold, trust in Congress is down. Approval, the approval rate for Congress is down. And get this, according to a CBS poll, the American people are more trusting of Trump than they are of the media at this point. And what do we see in response? The media is now shutting down Trump's press conferences. One NPR station said we will no longer carry it. Many media companies, many media outlets are turning the cameras off before he even finishes. Why? Because when the American people heard what he had to say, most of them agreed with it. And what are the Democrats doing? Fighting and obstructing our emergency relief. I, I cannot believe I, look, I did a video on this this morning where I said, we did it. Congratulations. The Democrats, you know, you got some of the things you wanted. And here we are. I had to read this story several times, confer with some friends. This can't be real, can it? Pelosi is not going to, I can't believe it. I'm, I am completely awestruck at the obstruction in Congress. Welcome to politics. At a time when people are desperate, businesses are shutting down, and we are facing one of the biggest threats our country has ever faced. This is the leadership we get. It's no surprise that Trump's approval rating is going up. Let's read the stories. The first one I have from Vox, I'll just go over very quickly to show you at 8, 10 a.m. optimism from the left. They thought we were going to be moving forward. You know that Chuck Schumer said the federal government would guarantee four months of salary for furloughed workers, four months. Yet on Twitter, the progressives are saying it's not enough. We want more. 
And perhaps the reason that's that's the reason Pelosi is refusing to hold a vote on this, because she knows that the squad and the far left will reject it and unanimous consent will fail. Before we read this, head over to TimCast.com slash donate if you would like to support my work. I rely on many of you who give through the various options, you know, PayPal, uh, cryptocurrency, or my physical address to help support what I do, especially in times like this. But don't feel pressure to do so. I know everyone's hurting right now. So the best thing you could do is just share this video and make sure to subscribe and hit that notification bell so that when I produce videos, you do get notified because YouTube tends not to share them. But I want to show you this. The Senate has struck a $2 trillion deal on the coronavirus stimulus. Here's what's in it. The massive legislation includes direct payments, an expansion of unemployment insurance, and loans for small businesses. In fact, at the bottom of the story, they say that it's possible they're going to move towards unanimous consent vote, meaning if everyone who's present just says, let's do it, they could expedite the Senate bill. Pelosi didn't do that. Take a look at this tweet. Jake Sherman for Politico says, the House was in this morning at 10 a.m. and 42 seconds, and they were out at 10.02 and 37 seconds. No business of note, no resignations, etc. Back in tomorrow at 11 a.m. I kid you not. Free Beacon reports Pelosi ends House session in less than two minutes. Vote on the, on the emergency stimulus is not expected on Wednesday. I didn't believe it when I read it. I really, really didn't believe it. When the progressive Vox.com is saying, we think they're going to rush this through. I didn't understand why that would be the case. But now we know. Governor Cuomo says he's lobbying for House members to reject moving the stimulus bill forward without some additional asks. You know, maybe it's fair to say we shouldn't rush things. Maybe it's fair to say we got to remain calm and not panic. Here's the issue. The Republicans had been negotiating this over the weekend. They skipped their recess. They came together with the Democrats, and then the Democrats rejected the bill. They rejected it a second time. And now finally, they all agree. So you know what? All I can really ask for, the bill will not be perfect. It will not be perfect. But if both sides can compromise, and if the Democrats holding out won them some bonuses, some of the things they want, fine, please just get this through because the American people can't last. We cannot shut down our economy. I am seeing sad posts from people talking about how their family businesses are being shuttered and they don't know if they can reopen. But this is what we get. Cuomo says, no, I want more money for my state. And if one member rejects this in unanimous consent, Pelosi has no choice. It's, it's done. And perhaps that's why she's holding it up, because they know the Democrats are not unified. It takes but one progressive to say no to this and unanimous consent would fail. There are also many people who are out, so they don't know if they could pass it. The story from Roll Call says, coronavirus stimulus deal and improvement, but under review. Speaker says Bill has moved a great deal closer to America's workers, but shockingly, she says she doesn't know. She doesn't know what she'll do moving forward. Pelosi said Wednesday that a massive stimulus agreement reached by Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer and key members of the Trump administration shows improvement over a GOP proposal released late, late, late last week, but she didn't give a clear sign of approval or commit to a House vote. House Democrats will now review the final provisions and legislative text of the agreement to determine a course of action, she said in a statement. I want to remind you, she has her own. She has her own bill. $2.5 trillion, 1,404 pages. It includes the words diversity 32 times or something like that. 
It's got student debt forgiveness. It's got climate provisions. None of it seems to matter for the American people. I think I know why she's obstructing. She is truly between a rock and a hard place. The Senate Democrats have agreed this is the compromise. Let's move forward. They won what they wanted to a certain degree. But Pelosi knows because she was told by another member of the Democratic Party, now is our chance to reshape things in our vision. It's her chance. So if she holds out on this, she's going to force them to give her what she wants, and there is nothing they can do about it. So she won't hold the vote. Why? She's making the rest of us stew. You see, in an op-ed from yesterday today, which I covered several times because it's shocking, they said the Republicans are desperate. Now's our chance to push in all of our progressive proposals. So she knows it. She's going to let everyone stew on this, have them freak out. But you know what? I'm not going to stand for it. I'm going to call her out. Roll call says, Pelosi said the agreement could take negotiators, quote, a long way down the road in meeting the needs of the American people. Thanks to the unity and insistence of Senate and House Democrats, the bill has moved a great deal closer to America's workers, she said. Walking into her Capitol Hill office later in the morning, Pelosi told reporters she's optimistic about the stimulus bill, but won't make a decision about voting until after lawmakers fully review the bill. Uh, Democrats in Senate literally worked on it. What more needs to be reviewed? I'm, pr- I'm probably, look, I'd be willing to say there's going to be bad stuff from the Republicans and the Democrats. And I understand in 2008, things were really, really bad. And we reaped the negative, ben- the, the, you know, the negative rewards of not having done it properly. But it's called desperate measures. It's not going to be, you know, candy canes and rainbows. We're going to see, we're going to see a backlash to a certain degree, but we've got to move quickly. It's very likely that we will suffer consequences from anything we do. Roll call says, quote, we're reviewing it now. We have our staff and our chairman reviewing the bill. I'm optimistic, but we'll see. It's unlikely the House will vote to approve the legislation Wednesday, though. The House came in for a pro forma session at 10 a.m. and quickly adjourned until 11 a.m. Thursday. Had the House wanted to leave open the option of passing the stimulus package today, it likely wouldn't have have recessed subject to the call of the chair. House, so what they're basically saying, it's not going to happen. They said they're going to they're going to come. No, it's possible by the time you watch this, maybe there was an emergency shift. Maybe they decided to come in. But at the time of filming this, no, they say as of mid morning, negotiators had not released final bill text after reaching a bipartisan agreement in the early morning hours that is designed to help reduce the economic impacts of the pandemic. Shortly after the agreement was announced, Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin said that he hopes Pelosi will bring the compromise agreement to the House floor and not make any changes that would require it to go back to the Senate before it could be enacted by President Trump, saying, I can't speak for the speaker. I can't speak for the speaker. I hope she takes it up and she passes it as is, said Mnuchin, who has been a key negotiator for the Trump administration throughout the last several days as the legislative and executive branches worked to find an agreement. The Senate is expected to vote on the measure later Wednesday after it comes into session at noon. But here we are. You see, Andrew Cuomo is trying to get it rejected, saying the numbers just don't work. It's terrible. And maybe that's fair. He's saying that they're looking at a $15 billion shortfall and would only be getting between 1.3 and 3 billion. Look, I get it, man. Maybe it's not enough. I'm not an expert. I don't know how much money you need in New York, but I know New York is in trouble. So I know we got to do what we can. But this was the Democrats and the Republicans coming together and negotiating now for the, for the second or third time. If we can't get it through now, I don't know what you're going to expect. Would you, you think you're going to go in and demand 10 times what was offered? And it's going to work. I just don't see it. Now we can see interesting things happening in the polls. Donald Trump is skyrocketing. Congress is, is dropping. The media is less trust, trustworthy than Trump. And I think we know why. 
because it's not Trump who's obstructing the emergency relief. His team's all over it, even negotiating with Democrats. But even get this, the Trump administration, Steve Mnuchin negotiated with the Senate Democrats and said, fine, we'll put in things you want. And Pelosi said, "Mm, we'll see. So why why would the American people blame Trump for this? He's been working very hard. He's been on TV every day. Yet we see this this, uh, hit ad. This one failed. They say, we don't blame Trump for the pandemic, but he failed in his reaction. And they use out of context information once again to smear the president. But in response to this, Tom Bevan of Real Clear Politics said, careful what you wish for. The last four polls on approval of Trump's handling of the pandemic, 56 percent, 49, 55 and 60. This is truly remarkable. Check this out. Axios Harris has has Trump positive 12 points. We see Emerson at positive eight points. ABC News, positive 12. The Economist, plus two. And Gallup, plus 22 from Gallup. The American people overwhelmingly support the president's actions in dealing with the pandemic and the economy, for that matter, at a time when the economy is in serious, in serious crisis. And this is why in one of the most shocking things ever, take a look at this. In a poll from CBS, who do you trust and not trust to give you accurate information about the virus and what to do during the outbreak? I, I don't believe it. I still don't believe it. But this is a CBS poll. Donald Trump, 44% trust him and 56% don't trust him. OK, OK. He doesn't have the majority of the American people trusting him. I get it. But take a look at this. National media, 43% trust the national media and 57% don't trust. Dare I say there are slightly more people that trust Trump and don't trust the media. You know why? Because while we're seeing what is painfully obvious to everyone, the polls are going up even with all of the negative press. Congress approval is ticking slightly down. It's at 21% with everything going on. Trump's approval rating is just up, up, up. So what does the media say? I kid you not. The media must stop live broadcasting Trump's dangerous, destructive coronavirus briefings. And they're doing it. Business Insider, TV networks cut away from the White House briefing as Trump contradicted his health experts. The media said they wouldn't cover it anymore and they're stopping now. And they're saying, oh, it's all it's, it's misinformation. Oh, it's, it's, it's all negative. It's all bad. No, I think I know what we're really seeing. We are seeing a media that is desperate to stop They're desperate to stop the American people from hearing what Trump has to say, because Trump is talking about potential uh, uh, treatments that may work. He's citing actual stories and the media comes out and lies. Just the other day, we heard a horrifying story about an older couple who ingested some kind of fish tank antiparasitic. The media then claimed it was Trump's fault. Trump never said anything about ingesting fish cleaner. He was referencing stories that have been all over the media about two, uh, two drugs taken together show promising results. When, the me- when, when one journalist started going after the president, he pushed back and said, you're a bad reporter. So what did the media do? They clipped it out of context. The American people can see through it, and we know what's going on right now. Take a look at this from Gallup. President Trump's job approval rating up to 49%. Now, it's not above 50, but it is positive. President Trump may be enjoying a small rally in public support as the nation faces the COVID pandemic. 49% of U.S. adults up from 44% earlier this month approve of the job Trump is doing as president as a, on, a, on the whole. 
Trump also had 49% job approval ratings, the best of his presidency in late January and early February, around the time of the Senate impeachment trial that resulted in his acquittal. Listen, the Senate, while all of this was going nuts, when Trump formed the pandemic you know, uh, task force, suspended travel from China, the Senate Democrats, the House Democrats were seeking to impeach the president. So is any of this surprising to you that they're once again flubbing everything that's happening? I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, man. I have to say, I, I just, I, I, I was reading through the news. I was hitting people up like this. Tell me this is not true. There's no way that they're obstructing this again. I'm, I'm sorry, man. I'm, re- I'm genuinely speechless. I just don't get it. Gallup says independents and Democrats approval of Trump's performance has increased slightly since earlier this month, tying as the best he has registered to date among each group. The president's approval rating among Republicans was already above 90%. Yeah, go figure. We get it. And remains so, but is not currently his highest on record, 94% in late January. Trump's response to the novel coronavirus pandemic may be behind his higher overall approval rating. Americans give the president generally positive reviews for his handling of the situation, with 60% approving and 38% disapproving. 94% of Republicans, 60% of independents, and 27% of Democrats approve of his response. A quarter, slightly more than a quarter of Democrats approving of Trump. That to me is nuts. The Trump administration has received some criticism for his response to the COVID-19 pandemic, including that the president downplayed the threat at least up until his nationally televised address on March 11th. I'm going to stop right now and tell you something absolutely insane. The date of this poll is, I believe, up to March 23rd. This poll, March 13th to 22nd, sorry, March 13th to 22nd, this poll was taken before the Democrats and the Republicans announced a deal on the stimulus package, causing a major market rally. This poll was taken before yesterday's market rally of one of the largest in the largest rallies in the history of the United States. I believe we saw the market grow Way by more points than we've ever seen in about a hundred years, this poll was taken before that. That means the next coming poll will probably show the president well above water with a massive approval rating. At the same time, Nancy Pelosi can't hold a vote to get the American people the relief they need. On Twitter, the progressives are screeching, saying it's not enough. They want college forgiveness, debt forgiveness. They want more money. Regular Americans are not on Twitter. They probably don't care. But the reason why Pelosi is probably stalling is because the squad is active and the Twitterati is her base. So yeah, they'll block it. They say on March 16th, Trump acknowledged the seriousness of the situation by urging people to avoid gatherings of more than 10 people and have workers and students stay home if possible. The administration has had daily press conferences since then to update the nation on what the federal government is doing to address the situation. Two aspects of Trump's latest approval rating suggest a presidential approval rally effect. His rating shows a fairly sudden increase, and that increase is seen among both independents and Democrats, both highly unusual for Trump in particular. Historically, presidential job approval has increased when the nation is under threat. Every president from Franklin Roosevelt through George W. Bush saw their approval rating surge at least 10 points after a significant national event of this kind. During these rallies, independents and supporters of the opposing party to the president typically show heightened support for the commander in chief. Significant rally effects appear to be a relic of the past as political polarization in presidential approval ratings has reached new levels. 
Presidential approval ratings today are characterized by consistent, exceedingly low approval ratings from opponents of the president's party. As a result, neither Obama nor Trump saw rally effects as big as those of their predecessors because their usual opponents were reluctant to approve of them, regardless of what was happening in the country. What they're basically telling you right now is that the the orange man is bad. And because the orange man is bad, they must reject everything he says, no matter what. But something interesting has happened. You see, when Trump came out and said that he was going to shut down travel from China and he was forming this task force, we saw the media go nuts that this was not a big deal and the flu was worse. And then Trump started saying the flu was worse. So the media did a 180 and started dragging the president. The orange man must always be bad. But at a certain point, people see through the lies. And I think it's because Trump has been holding daily press briefings. He's brought on experts that people trust to an absurd degree, like Dr. Fauci. They say at most, oh, Obama's approval rating rose by seven points after they took out Osama bin Laden. Seven points is also the largest short-term increase for Trump. His approval rating increased from 37 to 44 after the federal government shutdown ended and Trump touted U.S. economic gains in his State of the Union address. Trump's job approval rating increased six points in April 2019 after special counsel Robert Robert Mueller's investigation uh, into Trump's campaign's ties with Russia officially concluded. At the time, Attorney General William Barr largely cleared the president of wrongdoing. Trump's job approval, approval rating also increased five points earlier this year when it was clear he would be acquitted in the Senate impeachment trial. The media has been, has been running cover for the Democrats for the longest time. The media is trying to spin a narrative because the orange man must be bad, like I just mentioned. And now we can see how it's just truly, truly breaking down. Why won't the media call out Nancy Pelosi for holding this up? Where are all the stories? How is it that the left-wing website Vox.com, V-O-X, can say the De- House Democrats are going to expedite this one and it looks like we're all good? And then Pelosi holds it up. Where's, where's Vox to say Pelosi's, it's her fault for doing this? And more importantly, when Nancy Pelosi's daughter said that the person who attacked Rand Paul was right and got suspended from Twitter, where was the media to call her out, to ask her about this? Nowhere to be seen. I'll conclude with this. Fox News says CNN, MSNBC failed to ask Nancy Pelosi about daughter's controversial Rand Paul tweet. Rand Paul recently tested positive for COVID-19, and he has lung damage because he was he was attacked by his neighbor. He, the, the, my understanding is the neighbor was forced to pay a fine to Rand Paul. And Nancy Pelosi's daughter said that Rand Paul's neighbor was right, essentially, to attack him. The media won't call her out. But you know, if this was Trump Jr. or any one of the Trump administration or family, it would be it would be headlines across the board. Front page, above the fold. Trump Jr. said this, did that. Nancy Pelosi, nothing. So when she holds this up, I'll I'll tell you what, I'll give a shout out to Chuck Schumer right now. Thank you for negotiating with the Republicans and coming to an agreement on this bill. But you know what doesn't matter? The Democrats are not a unified party. And even if Chuck Schumer comes out and says we're good on this, it doesn't matter because Pelosi is going to make sure it doesn't move. We'll see what happens. Maybe it'll happen later today. It doesn't sound like it will. Maybe tomorrow. But man, I am I am increasingly worried they are going to shut this down. I don't, I don't know how much longer America can last. And Trump was right when he says the economy needs to get, get started up again. Of course, they attacked him for saying it, but it's true. The cure could be worse than the, than the disease itself. Family businesses are shutting down. They may never open back up. We need to make sure that we can, we can handle this calmly, rationally. And that means we may, we, we may face serious risks. But if we do nothing and the economy collapses, then people could die as well. 
I don't know what the right answer is. I'm not an economist. All I know is if the Democrats and Republicans have negotiated in good faith and fine, we're done, ready to go. The Democrats even got Republicans to concede on several points. Why is Pelosi holding this up? I'll see you all in the next segment at 6 p.m. YouTube.com slash Timcast News. It's a different channel. Thanks for hanging out. And now the Democrats and Republicans have agreed on a stimulus package. We have a deal, ladies and gentlemen. And later today, they're expected to vote on this, where it will then pass to the House. But Nancy Pelosi has her own bill, so we'll see what happens. Vox.com says perhaps the House Democrats will just take up the bill from the Senate, push it through. However, it's entirely possible they don't. We also have the problem of remote voting, because apparently several lawmakers are working remotely, and there's some concerns about whether it's even constitutional to do so. But before we get into all that, I think everyone's dying to know what is in this package and what you're going to get. And here's the frustrating thing. They blocked this twice, and this bill is essentially the same thing. It's the Republicans' bill, not the Democrats' bill. We all saw what Pelosi was was offering up, 1,400 pages, weird voting provisions, racial equity nonsense, whatever that bill was, it's still there. That's in the House. This bill is going to do what everyone expected it to do already, 1,200 bucks to most Americans. They didn't change a lot of the provisions as to how you will receive money. So I don't, look, I think it's fair to point out the Democrats wanted some checks on corporations so they could track where the money went, things like that. But let's just read the story. This is from Vox. And we have some other updates. Trump wants to get the economy reopened by Easter. We'll see if that happens. Vox.com reports, Senate Democrats have reached a deal with the Trump White House and Senate Republicans on a massive $2 trillion stimulus package that is targeting relief towards America's workers, hospitals, industries, and state and local governments. At last, we have a deal, says Mitch McConnell, early Wednesday morning. Yeah, it was like 1 a.m. when this got done. After days of intense discussions, the Senate has reached a bipartisan agreement on a historic relief package for this pandemic. Though the preceding bill, I'm sorry, through, though the preceding days had been filled with tense negotia- negotiations that occasionally erupted into public shouting matches on the Senate floor, lawmakers worked relatively quickly for Congress as they responded to an unprecedented, unprecedented economic crisis caused by the pandemic. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer and White House Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin met six times on Monday alone, working until the early hours of the morning on Tuesday to hammer out a deal. In a statement, Schumer said he was pleased with the result. Rather than accept such a fundamentally flawed partisan bill, Senate Democrats have been working hard on a bipartisan bill with Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin and President Trump, Schumer said. I am pleased to report that our hard work has paid off. The final product is so large in part because it contains both Republican and Democratic proposals, $500 billion in federal funding for big businesses and municipalities hit hard by the coronavirus outbreak, as well as a direct one-time cash payment to Americans and four months of expanded unemployment insurance. Schumer, the lead Democrat negotiating, appeared on the Senate floor early Tuesday afternoon to announce Democrats were closer to a deal after securing several key provisions including expanded unemployment insurance for laid-off workers and oversight on that $500 billion loan program for businesses. Last night, I thought we were on the five-yard line. Right now, we're on the two, Schumer said. At this point, of the few outstanding issues, I don't see anyone that can't be overcome with the next few hours. So this is good. I'm happy to see 
that at least the negotiations in the Senate seem to make sense. The Democrats did want some changes. They got those changes. But the bill, for the most part, is kind of the same thing. Now, that's contrary to what Pelosi is offering up, which is just absolutely absurd and an important point to be made. How do you just snap your fingers and pull out a 1400 page bill? Like they've been working on this thing for a long time. They've they've been planning this. So but this is the Senate. We'll see what happens. They say now that a deal has been reached, McConnell will likely move quickly to get that bill on the floor and passed Wednesday. McConnell spent the beginning of the week signaling impatience and frustration with Senate Democrats, whom he blamed blamed for unnecessarily holding up the process after they shot down two procedural votes to move the bill forward. Remember, it was the Democrats who did that. Meanwhile, the Democrats blamed McConnell for cutting them out of the beginning of the bill drafting process and not bringing them in until Republicans had put forward their opening bid. By Tuesday afternoon, both Democratic leaders and McConnell had struck a more conciliatory tone, appearing on multiple television shows this morning and afternoon after releasing, wait, 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 uh, appearing, okay, uh, releasing her own $2.5 trillion bill, Nancy Pelosi said she was confident a deal could be struck in the Senate, and McConnell echoed the same sentiment. Today, the Senate can get back on track. Today, we can make all of the Washington drama fade away, McConnell said. If we act today, what Americans will remember and what history will record is that the Senate did the right thing. Well, I'll be honest, History is going to record that they bickered and wasted time. But you know what? Fine. Can we get over? Can we get this over with? Now that a deal has been reached, the Senate will likely move with urgency to get it across the finish line with a vote. Then it must still clear the House where Democrats have been discussing passing the bill by unanimous consent, both to expedite the bill's passage and to protect members by keeping them at home. That sounds like a good idea to me. There is still a ways to go until the bill lands on President Donald Trump's desk ready to be signed but the biggest hurdle has now been cleared, what the plan includes. So we'll go through this one fairly quickly because I do want to talk about some, some major economic issues. Waffle House, for instance, is closing down several hundred locations. People are freaking out, but I don't think you need to freak out. We'll get to it. They say a $500 billion loan program for businesses, the biggest sticking point between Democrats and Republicans, was $500 billion in emergency loans for large businesses and municipalities grappling with the coronavirus outbreak. For instance, billion of that money was allotted to passenger airlines. Rather than trying to negotiate that figure down, Democrats instead negotiated to have strings attached to it. Instead of giving the Trump administration broad discretion to make the loans, Schumer and Pelosi said there will likely be a new inspector general in the Treasury Department specifically to oversee these funds, as well as a congressional oversight panel to examine how the money is being used. Schumer's office also announced they secured a provision that will prohibit businesses controlled by the president's vice president, members of Congress and heads of executive departments from receiving loans or investments from treasury programs. The children, spouses or in-laws of lawmakers and executive officials also cannot receive these loans. I actually agree with that. That sounds great. A slew of additional uh, uh, conditions championed by progressives and supported by the public. I love how Vox just injects that supported by the public including a requirement for companies to implement a $15 minimum wage, have not made it into the final legislation. Good. Why were we being held up for that? I like what did uh, um, Mark Cuban say? Stop kissing the butts of progressive Schumer. And then he told uh, McConnell to stop, you know, sucking up to corporate. I think that's what he did. Expanded funds for hospitals, medical equipment and healthcare worker protections. In a statement, Schumer reported to Senate Democrats that the latest bill will contain $150 billion for hospitals, 
treating coronavirus patients. Of that money, $100 billion will go to hospitals. $1 billion will go to the Indian Health Service, and the remainder will be used to increase medical equipment capacity. Increased aid to state and local governments. Schumer also said about $150 billion of federal money would be allocated for state and local governments who are dealing with the impacts of the crisis, including $8 billion for tribal governments. Direct payments to adults below a certain income threshold. They said this will include a one-time $1,200 check that would be sent to most adults making $75,000 or less annually, according to past tax returns. I believe this is 2018. Now, there are some problems with this, but I think it's, it's, it's fair to say, look, man, this is being rushed through and everyone's kind of speeding through things. I think we can always come back and revisit if the Senate can pull it off. I don't know. I think it's better to get checks into the hands of Americans now as opposed to waiting and trying to figure out what the next payment's going to be or trying to plan for this long-term thing. They say a $500 payment would also be sent to cover every child in qualifying households. The final policy marks a significant change from the direct payments initially posed by Republicans, which would have given less to many individuals who do not have taxable income. It would have been $600. It now includes the majority of adults who are under the $75,000 threshold and phases the payment out as people's income rises. Loans to small businesses, there would be $367 billion in the bill aimed at providing loans for small businesses, which is great, great. Look, I, I can't tell you if, you know, how, what, what the dollar number is. All I can say is I'm glad that we're actually getting through this. Now, here's where it gets worrisome to me. Over the past couple of days, we have seen the Democrats hold this bill up. And their argument is that, you know, they wanted to make a bunch of changes. It was, it was over a week of negotiations. Finally, the Republicans came out. Nancy Pelosi dives back in from her holiday, you know, her recess. And then all of a sudden the bill gets dropped and we end up being delayed by basically two days. Now the challenge is if this goes to the House, we're, we're, we're just, our fingers are crossed that the Democrats are going to be on board with this. I think they will. I think at this point, at least I'm hoping they will. We don't see an attempt at this ridiculous 1400 page garbled nonsense. And we just get this one through. I am not an economist who can tell you what people, what people need. What I do know is that people need to get some kind of relief and we need to do it fast. We can always have the, um, it's, it's, it, we, we can put this in place and then, you know, sort of assess things. Once we get people emergency relief, we can sit down and then have some extra time to, to work out where we go from here. Donald Trump is saying he wants to have everything reopened by Easter. So maybe we don't need that much. We don't, maybe we don't need another bill. We probably will. We'll see what happens, but let's read. The Senate still needs to approve the deal in a vote when 60 lawmakers will have to vote in favor of it to pass. That will happen Wednesday, McConnell told reporters. I'm willing to bet it's like everybody votes for it except for Rand Paul. Oh, no, no. Rand Paul's out. Maybe he'll be unanimous. And I'm not saying that to drag Rand Paul. You know, he, he, he like his dad. They like to vote no on things. The package will then head over to the House, where Democrats also have their own $2.5 trillion stimulus bill, which Pelosi unveiled on Monday. In order to proceed expeditiously, it's quite possible the House will simply take up the Senate deal rather than going to conference to hash out differences between the two chambers. If so, its next challenge will be figuring out how best to vote on it. Given the fact that many House members are currently working remotely, there's a possibility the lawmakers approve the, legis- leg- the legislation via a process known as unanimous consent when a bill is, is able to pass as long as no one objects to it, even if most members aren't physically present. House Rules Chair Jim McGovern has urged his colleagues to consider unanimous consent or voice voting with the members who are present instead of uh, remote voting. If lawmakers were, go- were to go the unanimous route, that means a single lawmaker who's physically present could object to the bill's passage. 
and potentially delay proceedings even further. How they say they, 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 they're going to say it's possible another lawmaker could voice a type of opposition again, though they would likely face immense pressure from both the public and their colleagues not to do so. Despite this scenario, remote voting isn't being considered. But they do point out one of the concerns raised is uh, remote voting contradicts policies that have been laid out in the Constitution regarding how Congress should convene in person. Some lawmakers have worried, too, that it could set a concerning precedent for other votes that take place down the line. While the possibility could pick up momentum if it appears necessary in the weeks to come, it's not expected to happen this week with the stimulus bill. I'm, ha- I'm very, very happy to hear this. I have friends who are worried. I'm sure many of you are worried. And this is going to get a cash check in everyone's hands. So you know what? For all of the problem, you know, all the bickerings and, 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 and all of the absurdity, especially with Pelosi's bill, we, we're a couple days behind. But hey, you're going to you, you, many of you will potentially get more than 600 bucks. So at this point, I'm going to say, OK, fine. Bygones be bygones. Get it done. Get it passed. Please, Democrats in the House, just get this through. The American people need it. We can't wait. After this bill goes through, how about we, we work on another longer term package and you can propose whatever you want when we have time to sit down and negotiate these things. Donald Trump is certainly in a serious rush to get things restarted. And you got to understand this is it's very it's, it's very, very serious. Look, Waffle House has shut down about 367 locations. They said that 1,620, I'm, I'm sorry, 365 locations are shut down amid the pandemic. We don't know if necessarily it's because of the pandemic, but it's likely because there, it may have been that there, there, uh, Waffle House was already hurting at some locations. The point is, at a certain point, when the economy stops, it does not come back. And that's what's truly terrifying. So Trump is right to be concerned. Now you're seeing all of these people on social media saying things like, nobody would give their life to stimulate the economy. No, no, no. What you don't understand, these memes are really stupid. If the economy doesn't kick back on, you will see as many or more lives lost. That's what we're trying to balance. Donald Trump isn't simply saying we need corporate profits, so we're going to let people die. No, he's saying that if we don't get the economy back on track, people will die anyway. We got to find out where our breaking point is. So Trump sets Easter goal for reopening American economy. Now, many people are saying, no way, don't do it. The problem is many of these people are just anti-Trump. So you do have health experts. Dr. Fauci says, let's be flexible, see how things play out. I think that's smart. We'll see. But I also think it's important to have a date set. That is very, very important. Trump saying Easter, good. It doesn't mean we do it. And maybe we shouldn't. But people need certainty. So we have two really good things right now. First, certainty in the stimulus package, at least at least as much as we can have with the Republicans and the Democrats now coming together on this. Many people are confident that we might start moving forward. And that's why we saw one of the biggest market rallies yesterday. Now, with Donald Trump saying we have our eyes on a goal, people can start feeling confident in investing back in the economy. If we have a potential date set, the biggest threat to our economy right now while we're in stasis is well beyond the stasis. It's that we don't know what's going to happen. So people are, are not willing to bet and invest in our economy because they're like, I don't know how long it's going to take. Trump set a goal. It's not a guarantee, but at least it lets people know we have our eyes on getting things rolling again. If people are out of work, they leave their towns. There, there are people fleeing cities and they've been doing it for a long time. And this is making it, it worse. As a side, as an aside, I'm really curious how this is going to affect the 2020 census. This is going to be nuts with people fleeing big cities. But if someone leaves a city, they might not come back. I mean, this is what happens. 
you give someone a reason to leave for a month or two, and they set up roots in a different place. And if somebody leaves a big city and finds work or finds stability back home or in a suburb, they'll stay. They won't want to, they won't, they won't want to, you know, uproot again. It's stressful enough to have to leave the city because you got laid off. And many companies, they're going to see their products spoil. The restaurant industry, for instance, bars, they're going to have to reopen. They're going to need more than loans. So we're probably going to need another big stimulus boost. And this is us borrowing from ourselves in the future, which can get really, really murky. Inflation, other really bad things. Like, I mean, look, we're facing major economic damage. So we got to do something. Even if in the long term it hurts us, it's better than killing the economy, right? A hurt economy is better than a dead one. NPR reports, in his Tuesday afternoon briefing with the coronavirus task force, President Trump couched earlier comments about the need to reopen the U.S. economy within weeks, emphasizing that the decision would ultimately be data-driven and made in consultation with public health experts. You see how simple it is? Thank you, NPR. Yet when you go to Reddit and when you go on Twitter, they're all screeching, Trump Trump only cared because, you know, his golf course started losing money and things like that. You literally said it's going to be data driven and in consultation with public health experts. What more do you want? A permanent shutdown? Like no negotiation, no discussions forever? The president said he still wants Americans working again by Easter Sunday, something he first said during a virtual town hall with Fox News earlier in the day. But he was much more circumspect over whether that would be possible from a medical standpoint. His previous comments about reopening the economy prompted alarm among public health experts across the country who said it's far too early. Trump seemed to uh, to much more carefully toe the line during his briefing as he talked about carefully and responsibly reopening the country. I want to assure Americans that we have a team of public health experts, also economists and other professionals working to develop a sophisticated plan to reopen the economy as soon as the time is right. One based on the best science, the best modeling, and the best medical research there is anywhere on earth. Trump stressed that this is a medical crisis. This isn't a financial crisis. And he's right. Once we get through the the, the coronavirus pandemic, people should be able to to get back to work right away. But what a lot of people don't understand because they're, they're too obsessed with screeching about the orange man is that the plan to reopen the economy isn't like you snap your fingers and just dump everybody into the middle of the city. It's that you slowly start reintroducing non-essential businesses back into to service. So we, we, we had this slow downturn where at first they were saying no more than 50 people in a store. Then they shut the stores down. You know, at first they were like, we'll give you hand sanitizer. Then they were like, can't have more than 50 people. Then they close. We can do something similar to slowly reopen things. There's also other ideas about making sure the vulnerable immunocompromised people and the elderly remain isolated for a, for a longer duration, but younger people can slowly start coming back out into the workforce. This is what's, it's, it's mind numbingly frustrating to me that people view this as an all or one thing. It's my biggest gripe with how the Democrats have approached the, the negotiating on the bill, blocking it twice. And then Nancy Pelosi saying, we got this big laundry list of a bunch of nonsense we want to shove in here because it's all or nothing. No, it isn't. So I'm glad that we're seeing the Democrats good on them, I like the changes that were made. I got to admit, it's, it's good stuff. Oversight is good. I don't, we'll see the full language of the bill. Maybe we'll be upset with it. But for now, if we're going to get more money to the hands of the lower income people, we're going to get some oversight in corporations. Okay, fine. I'm happy with that. I would have preferred to have moved more expeditiously, but hey, we're a couple days behind. Fine. Let's move forward on this one. I'm not going to keep slinging beef at the Democrats over this. We're ready to go. I'm hoping they don't block this in the house. Fine, whatever. But let's get things rolling again. I'll leave it there.
We have, we have, we have a lot going on. And, and one of the biggest risks that I'm seeing from this, in my, in my view, it's not so much the economy, not even the coronavirus, but in this crisis, we're seeing a rise in government authority and authoritarianism that is downright frightening. We're seeing California is going to launch a couple drones to like check to see whether or not people are, not, are you know, violating quarantine or, or, or curfew. A couple people in New Jersey have been arrested for having get togethers. Like we're getting, we're getting a dangerous territory. Let's pull this one back. It's getting freaky. Stick around. Next segment will be coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel, and I will see you all then. America is a nation of laws. And if you show up to Walmart and lick deodorant, you will be arrested and charged with making terroristic threats. Seriously? Yeah, apparently they're saying that if you cough on people or intentionally try to spread the coronavirus, you will be charged with making terroristic threats. Wow. I mean, I get it. We've seen a bunch of videos of, you know, that toilet girl. She licked a toilet. Then we had some other dude who like also licked the toilet and then claimed he contracted coronavirus, which is probably fake. But this video is particularly infamous where a guy goes to Walmart and he licks all the deodorant because that's look, if you want to lick a toilet, man, it's a toilet. I'm not going to complain too much. I'll make fun of you. But if you go and lick all the deodorant, nah, because people got to pick that stuff up. You're intentionally spreading disease at a time when our economy is tanking. Everyone's freaking out. You know, the suicide calls are actually going up in some places. So yeah, now's not the time. Apparently, this dude who did this got arrested. And we're hearing now from Politico, this is crazy. Those who intentionally spread coronavirus could be charged as terrorists. Woo, man. Look, I am no fan of the encroaching authoritarianism. I got to say, as much as I don't like this guy for what he did, charging him under terrorist provisions, that's kind of freaky. But guess what? There are several other stories I'm going to show you where people are getting arrested for coughing. We've seen people cough on cops and get arrested, but they're still doing it because people are morons. Don't cough on people. (laughs) It's so dumb. This is from KMOV4. They say, a Warrenton man is in custody Tuesday after filming himself licking items at Walmart. The viral video showed a man later identified as Cody Fister of Warrington licking several toiletries at Walmart after stating who's scared of the coronavirus. The video, which was shared on TikTok and Twitter, gained international attention from people in the Netherlands, Ireland and United Kingdom. We take these. Why? Why? Why those specific places? Anyway, we take these complaints very seriously and would like to thank all those who reported the video so the issue could be addressed. There has been there. uh, There have been four deaths in Missouri related to the coronavirus. Fister has been charged with making a terroristic threat. No additional information has been released. This is the reality of things, man. It's a national emergency. People are contemplating a national lockdown. All you got to do, all right, this is easy. If you don't want to be charged as a terrorist, don't cough on people and lick things in stores. There, I said it. I know it may be hard for many of you. That, That toilet seat to these young people looks just too good to pass up. But if you want to avoid jail time, Try not licking deodorant in a Walmart. Now, look, I'll be serious. I think that's pretty harsh, man. I don't know about you, but I'm a fairly liberty-minded person. So should the dude get arrested? Absolutely. Terror charges? Yikes, man. Politico says, people who intentionally spread the coronavirus could face criminal charges under federal terrorism laws, the Justice Department's number two official said Tuesday. In a memo to top Justice Department leaders, law enforcement agency chiefs, and U.S. Attorney Attorneys across the country, Deputy Attorney General Jeffrey Rosen said prosecutors and investigators could come across cases of purposeful exposure and infections of other with COVID-19. Because coronavirus appears to meet the statutory definition of a biological agent, 
Such acts potentially could implicate the nation's terrorist related statutes. Threats or attempts to use COVID-19 as a weapon against Americans will not be tolerated. Rosen did not say whether any such threats or intentional exposures had been reported or whether his warnings a warning was simply precautionary. The Justice Department has also set up a task force to address hoarding and price gouging related to supplies urgently needed to, uh, for the fight against the coronavirus. Attorney General Bill Barr said during a briefing at the White House on Monday that hoarding of supplies like masks would be prosecuted. However, memos issued by Barr and Rosen on Tuesday said the Department of Health and Human Services has yet to formally designate the health-related items the administration wants covered by the Defense Production Act. The task force pursuing such issues will be headed by U.S. Attorney for New Jersey Craig Carpenito, and it will include some of each some of each U.S. Attorney's office, uh, attorney's office and other Justice Department units, Barr said. Well, there are many, many more stories. Check this one out. Why is it New Jersey? Why does it always got to be New Jersey? I thought, I thought Florida was where people were insane. Here we go. New Jersey man charged with terroristic threats for allegedly coughing on Wegmans worker. When a Wegmans worker asked the man to step back, he leaned into her, coughed, and told her he had coronavirus. This is from this morning, and we heard about the Politico thing from yesterday night. Maybe people are now going to start, they're going to start getting the memo. The government is not going to tolerate this stuff. But I mean, it's not just that. We won't tolerate it. In New Jersey, we've already had a couple different arrests. We had two guys who apparently had a party with a couple dozen people. They came and arrested them for a nuisance. That I think is harsh. But look, if somebody is going to defy the, 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 the stay at home orders and the no large gatherings, and that means the economy, it's a, it's, it's a threat to national security in our country. I can understand some kind of criminal justice enforcement. Charging these guys in New Jersey with like a public nuisance, it's a slap on the wrist, man. And that sends a message to everybody. They're going to come and they're going to enforce this. I still find it freaky that they're going out and doing this. In California, apparently they're sending out drones. I kid you not. They got some DJI drones, not very big. And they're going to fly around with like IR cameras filming to see if people are breaking curfew. Now things are getting pretty freaky, right? But man, I'll tell you what, coughing on someone should be like an assault and battery charge. I guess in, in, in today's day and age, though, and, or, or, I, I, not in today's day and age, but in today's crisis, we're seeing an escalation of panic and fear. Like it's actually coming up in the polls that people are terrified of what's happening. And then you have the fact that it's causing, like I mentioned earlier, there was a, a tweet from, a port, from the Portland police saying that calls for you know, uh, suicide related were up like 43%. So yeah, you could cough on someone and it could result in them self-harming or freaking out. Or look, man, I know it's not necessarily the fault of anyone but the people who did it, but some people freak out and drink fish tank <laughs> cleaner. Did you see the story the other day? Basically, they took a par- an antiparasitic called chloroquine phosphate, and they took a teaspoon of it, mixed it in their drink, and then drank it. Why would you do that? But hey, man, some people are dumb. Let's read this story. I got, I got more for you, man. This is not the only one. We're getting more arrests on this. A New Jersey man was charged with harassment and making terroristic threats after allegedly purposefully coughing on a Wegmans grocery store employee and saying he had the coronavirus. George Falcone, 50 of Freehold in the southern part of the state, was charged Tuesday by the New Jersey attorney general for allegedly making the threats on Sunday in a Wegmans supermarket in Manalapan, wherever that is. Falcone was standing close to an employee near the store's prepared food section when the worker asked him to move back, the attorney general said in a statement. Instead, Falcone stepped closer to her, leaned in and coughed. The statement said he laughed, telling the man he was infected with coronavirus and also telling the two other employees they are lucky to have jobs. I mean, that's not even that. Like, did he really cough on her? 
There was one story I was reading where a dude started coughing. He didn't cough on them. He started coughing and they called the cops. Cops arrested this guy. You know what, man? This stuff, I got to admit, it's getting freaky. Quote, these are extremely difficult times in which all of us are called upon to be considerate of each other, not to engage in intimidation and spread fear as alleged in this case. Grewal said in a statement, we must do everything we can to deter this type of conduct and any similar conduct that harms others during this emergency. The third degree terrorism charge carries a sentence of three to five years in prison for coughing on somebody. And the harassment charge, a sentence of up to six months. What a disparity. Isn't that amazing? Falcone was also charged with obstructing administration of law in the fourth degree, which carries a sentence of up to 18 months. New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy called Falcone a knucklehead during a Tuesday press briefing, according to NJ.com. Dude, I'm sorry. I'm going to say it. The dude does not deserve three years in prison for being a knucklehead. Call him whatever you want. Call him slime. Call him scum. Call him a moron. Call him an idiot. Six months. I think even that's harsh. But three to five years, that's insane, man. And guess what? Not the only one. This one, I believe, was in, uh, oh, is this, oh, yes. So this one, I believe, is in Missouri. This is another case. This, this time it was not in, uh, where is this? Philadelphia, apparently. Another person. This is nuts. Look at this. Man who coughed an elderly person and said he had coronavirus is arrested as Justice Department reveals those who intentionally spread the virus could face terror charges. And that's what I was reading for Politico. My understanding of the story is I don't think he actually coughed on the person. Maybe I could be wrong. Let's read this. They say North Middleton Township Police in Philadelphia have already charged 57-year-old Daniel Tabusi with making terroristic threats after he allegedly coughed on an elderly victim who was shopping at a Carnes grocery store during a seniors only time. We, uh, so we do have updated numbers here on the coronavirus, 54,905 in the US. Police said the victim wore the items because they are higher, at a higher risk of contracting the coronavirus. Debussy is described as having deliberately coughed near the victim while mocking them at the store on the 1700 block of Spring Road. Authorities shared the, uh, shared the man told the victim that he had COVID-19 on numerous occasions. Now that's the difference. But allegedly, I don't know, I don't, I don't man, on top of the terroristic threat charges, Debussy has been charged with simple assault, disorderly conduct, and harassment. Aren't those last three good enough? The last thing I want to see is the government get empowered to start locking people up for coughing too close to someone. I get it. He did say he had COVID, and that's when it becomes a threat. Rosen's memo to prosecutors and department leaders across the country warned that it may run into purposeful exposure. Yes, we talked about that. Additionally, the Justice Department has also set up a task force to investigate cases of hoarding and price gouging that we know. This is, it's gross stuff, man. But the DOJ has already asked for the powers to indefinitely detain people. And I think we have to set hard limits on how much power we're willing to give the federal government. At a certain point, this needs to stop. We need to bring the economy back because depression is going to be going up. People are going to be panicking. And you're going to see this. It's not just about the, the, the effects on our economy. It's about the desperation increasing desperate measures. As more and more people become depressed, become scared and start freaking out, the more power the government will get. And that is, it's like we, we are falling into a pit. And the further down we go, the harder it, harder it will be to climb out. So I'm all in favor of getting through this as fast as possible. Trump is talking about reopening the economy in Easter with the, uh, pending the advice of health officials, because Dr. Fauci said, yes, but let's be flexible about it. It might not be a good idea. So I think we got to be optimistic and we got to get ready to shut this stuff down because, dude, Coughing near someone and getting charged three to five years in prison? Nah, I'm not a, I'm not a fan. Now, I, I think it's fair to point out, it's, all, it's entirely possible, fighting back a sneeze, sorry, entirely possible, the courts will just throw it out. 
you get arrested. They say you're charged with this. And then the prosecutor says, yeah, 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 get him out of here. We'll give him a disorderly conduct charge. He'll get a slap on the wrist. But we do have in, uh, <laughs> I'm not gonna, I, I didn't want to dedicate a whole segment to this guy. I did talk about him on the other podcast, the Tim Guest IRL show. But I think there's more than just the, the authoritarianism, the, the government arresting people, which again, there's a fine line. I mean, if you're going to go around coughing on people, yeah, you should probably get arrested. That's, that's gross. But it's also a trend of people being absolute morons. You may have seen another video where a guy walks into a bathroom and then licks a toilet seat. It's called the coronavirus challenge. He then posted a video where he claimed that he was in the hospital with the coronavirus. This went viral. It's probably not real. The dude's probably lying. He probably bleached the toilet. I don't think it really matters. I mean, he's still looking at the toilet. And then, you know, made this video and then pretended to get sick. Well, apparently he's also been suspended. Let's read the story. They say California influencer, and they put influencer in quotes because this guy has no followers, says he's in hospital with coronavirus just days after posting a video of him licking a toilet bowl for a revolting TikTok challenge. I'm not going to say his name. They say the post, which included a video of him languishing in a hospital bed, is a far cry from the foul video he posted five days ago, licking a toilet. It was an imitation or meme of a reckless and abort stunt by TikTok sensation Toilet Girl. The 22-year-old, I'm sorry, her name is Ava Louise, but she's known as Toilet Girl. The 22-year-old filmed herself licking the toilet seat on a plane with the caption Coronavirus Challenge. That's right. Ava Louise is Toilet Girl. So Pierce Morgan says, why is this moron getting treated? He should be in jail, not taking up vital, a vital hospital bed. Or he should just not get treated. I mean, like, don't give him a hospital bed. He licked a toilet seat. You know, I don't know. What, put him, he can stay home and he can drink fluids and whatever. So apparently, is he friends with this woman or something? I, oh, oh, here he is pictured with Billie Eilish. Oh, geez. Good morning, Britain host Piers Morgan called Lars Scum and said that his catching the virus was karma. He didn't really catch the virus. He's lying. He's playing everybody, and it works. Congratulations, dude. And they go on to say that the number is increasing. Morgan said this morning, karma is a strange thing. If you behave in such a reckless, moronic, selfless manner, karma will catch up with you. I don't take any pleasure. I don't wish illness on people, but this has got to stop. These acts of reckless stupidity, this guy who licked the toilet bowl, did he infect anyone else? They say he previously appeared on Dr. Phil with another influencer where they discussed how they had licked tubs of ice cream and spat mouthwash back into bottles of viral videos. How has this guy not been arrested? A ton of people got arrested for doing that last time. And we just saw a dude get arrested for making terroristic threats. Is this guy going to get arrested? Because I'll tell you what, there's a limit. If you do something dumb, like, you know, licking deodorant, I don't think you should get three to five years in prison, but maybe pay back restitution. Maybe you do get arrested. But this dude repeatedly does this stuff. And then they put him on TV shows. Man, you know what, Dr. Phil? I've got some choice words for you. I keep my show family friendly, but I'm going to refrain from swearing. Don't have this guy on. I don't even want to say his name. This guy's a moron. Coronavirus. These people are gross. Toilet girl. I hope forever she'll be remembered as toilet girl. These morons who, who try and generate fame by doing these things that threaten the rest of us because they're desperate psychopaths. They are pathetic losers, each and every one of them. And I'm sure I'll tell you what, let me say something to all of you. Because I'm sure these people are sitting there laughing, saying, ha now I'm being talked about. Great. Let me know when you can cash that check. What's that? Toilet girl is just a sugar baby. Oh, so you're not actually contributing anything. You're not actually influential in any capacity. You're some dude's plaything, and you licked this toilet. Congratulations, toilet girl. That's your legacy. And you'll be forever known as toilet girl. And the other dude who licked the toilet, 
That's toilet boy. Congratulations, toilet boy and toilet girl. That's what you are forever. And the dude who looked at deodorant, you're getting terroristic charges. Man, I don't, I don't know about that. But you know what? These people should, I want you all to remember that there are people in this world who are respected and well-known. And you will never be that ever again. You have secured your place in history as pathetic toilet licking losers. I wonder where you go from there. You'll never live it down. All right. To a certain extent, people are deserving of forgiveness. Fine. But I hope this is a message to all of these, these, these dumb kids who do these stupid things like the skull breaker challenge. You know that one where it's like they make their friend jump and then kick their legs up so they fall back and smack their head. One kid went, had a seizure and went to a coma. Yeah, these people are, are absolutely insane. Something is wrong with these people. They are so desperate, so pathetic, such pathetic losers. Toilet girl, you're a pathetic loser. You're a toilet licking toilet girl. Look at that. I, that, picture, that picture will never go away. That will always be what you are, a toilet licker. I'm done. Rant over. I'll see you all at 4 p.m. on the main channel, youtube.com slash Timcast. Thanks for hanging out. I'll see you there. Most of us here in America are sitting at home and watching and waiting as the global crisis seems to get worse. We're waiting for the point where things start to calm down. We can return to normal life. But for the time being, we are watching the president of the United States do his job. And as it turns out, poll after poll after poll shows most Americans think he's doing a pretty good job. Yet the media class is outraged, shocked. They can't believe it. There's no way these polls are real. Americans can't like the president. Oh, come on, man. You were wrong in 2016. Why can't you be wrong today? I mean, they're just wrong consistently in a lot of reasons, in a lot of different ways. But now we have a quite humorous story. Andrea Mitchell of MSNBC fears skyrocketing approval for Trump amid pandemic. The story from MRC says during her noon, uh, uh, her 12 p.m. Eastern show on on, uh, MSNBC, anchor Andrea Mitchell revealed her greatest fear amid the coronavirus pandemic. Donald Trump's approval rating going up. She fretted over likely Democratic nominee Joe Biden having difficulty getting his message out during the crisis and support for the president skyrocketing. If Joe Biden can't get his message out, it has nothing to do with the coronavirus. It's because the dude can barely speak English. And, and, and listen, even his supporters have come out in one of the funniest things I've ever seen. The Atlantic wrote an article saying, stay alive, Joe Biden. Democrats need little more from the front runner beyond his corporeal presence. If you didn't see that video, I recommend you check it out on this channel from the other day. This woman, Alex Wagner, actually goes on to say that Joe Biden has nothing going for him, no resources, no real message, but he's alive. Yeah, great. If Joe Biden can't get his message out, it's no one's fault but the Democrats and Joe Biden. Turning to former Obama administration official Jim Messina, Mitchell anxiously noted, quote, there is politics involved. We've heard very little from, for instance, the more likely, most likely nominee of the Democratic Party, Joe Biden. He's having difficulty getting projecting through this crisis as the campaign goes totally on hold. Yeah, well, that's his fault. Bernie Sanders going nuts. He's holding big old fundraisers, raising tons of money. And if that wasn't bad enough, the MSNBC host referenced positive poll numbers for Trump. We're also seeing some polls indicating the president's approval ratings among Democrats and independents skyrocketing to their highest levels yet. Some 60% approval ratings for the way he's handling this crisis as he continues to hold, hold these briefings. The briefings are working for the president. 
In frustration, she added, no matter what he says, people seem to be seeing him as a leader. At least more people do. uh, Messina desperately tried to reassure his fellow Democrat. Oh, no, Trump's doing a good job. We can't have that. The country needs to suffer, right? Is that what they really want? Look, I don't care. I didn't vote for Trump. I didn't vote for Hillary. I just laughed when he got elected because people like this freak out and screech like banshees. If Trump is doing a good job, good. The country's doing well, right? You can really, you, you really see the mask slip when they're actually angry that things are going well. The market is starting to rebound. We had a major market rally. We're potentially in the cost of a stimu- cusp of a stimulus package. Of course, Democrats are obstructing. And, and the American people are happy to see Trump on the TV every day, reassuring them, and they approve of what he's doing. But of course, those in media do not want, they don't want to accept it. They're in denial. Uh, Here's what Messina said. Yeah, as you know, Andrea, you and I share a healthy skepticism on public polling. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, what polling shows right now is not going to be what happens, right? The problem President Trump has is he's made a bunch of promises that have turned out to be wrong on this virus. And going forward, once we get really deep into this, in the next couple of weeks, the American public's going to look back and say, what did you say? What did you say was happened? And what, what, what did you say was going to happen? And what actually happened? Now I'm assuming that was an error. So I added the gunna. The Obama hack, the, the MRC calls him, concluded, I would reject all of the polls that you see back and forth. President Trump's comments are someday going to be on a television ad. And it's going to be a really, di- it's going to be really difficult for him to rebut in the fall of this year. So they say they, they, they then present a transcript. So I, I do want to read a little bit of the transcript. because It's funny. I got to point out, though, if you didn't see my main segment, go watch it. There's a poll from CBS showing that the American people trust Trump by one percentage point more than the national media. That's right. When it comes to the media and Trump, the American people are more likely to trust Donald Trump. That is amazing. So you want to talk about the things he said? You want to talk about hit hit ads or whatever, eh, not going to work. Nobody's going to care. Trump supporters don't care. Independents are sick and tired of media lies. And you're sitting here complaining about a guy who's apparently doing well. Why? Don't we want to root for the president? MSNBC host Joe Scarborough said we have to support the president and help him succeed here. This is a really serious situation. Oh, no. Now they're starting to realize Trump could actually get reelected because he's handling the crisis well. Oh, too bad. So Mitchell said, I wanted to bring in Jim Messina. This is politics involved. We've heard very little from, for instance, Biden. We're all seeing polls indicate. We'll skip forward. These briefings are working for the president. No matter what he says, people seem to be seeing him as a leader. At least more people do. And so then they go and basically say, say the same thing. It concludes, Messina says, but you know, right now, President Trump, I will reject all these polls. Okay, so they're just rehashing what we already know. I'll bring you now to the next story where the media just can't get a handle on the fact that they're wrong. It's really weird for me because I've seen so many people on Twitter that are saying like, uh, so Donald Trump retweeted Dan Scavino. Dan Scavino is a social media guy, I think. Scavino retweeted uh, Lou Dobbs, who tweeted out Gallup. It was this long circuitous, you know, retweet thing. And these journalists were mocking Trump. And someone tried claiming that the poll was a Twitter poll or something and that they don't know what real polling is. And they were laughing. And I'm like, at a certain point, don't you accept that you're wrong and you're on the wrong side of history? You know what I mean? Like if Donald Trump's approval rating on the coronavirus, according to Gallup, is 22 points positive at 60 percent. At a certain point, don't you say, I guess I was wrong. You know, take a look at what people have to say. Most people are in agreement that Trump is doing a good job. Nope, nope. The media can't do it. The orange man is bad, I say. He must be bad. No matter what, 
even if people like what he's doing. From The Atlantic, Americans' revulsion for Trump is underappreciated. As Democrats fret about their own prospects, many fail to recognize the president's fundamental weakness. They somehow took a positive story for the president and turned it negative. I kid you not. There was a study done a while ago that found like 93% of all major cable news stories about the president was negative. And now we have good news. Well, to be fair, ABC put out a story saying that 55% of people approve of Donald Trump's handling of the coronavirus. So the Atlantic said, I got an idea. Let's take the good news, turn it into bad news and ignore the data and just claim, no, no, you're wrong. People actually hate the president. The polls are meaningless. They love to cite the polls when the polls are bad. And they say the polls are wrong when the polls are good for the president. When I look at polls, what I like to do is either compare the poll to itself so you can see an up or down movement using the same methodology or to use real clear politics polling aggregate. So we can look at the past eight polls going back several weeks and see what the approval rating is based on the past several weeks. For Donald Trump, according to the RCP average, his handling of the coronavirus is an overwhelming net positive. The last four polls are really, really good for the president. Well, you can never, uh, uh, you, you, you got to figure out how to get clicks. That's, that's, that's the issue, right? So what, what you'll see is sometimes they're static. There will be a blip. A survey will come out saying Trump's appro- disapproval is really high. But when you compare that one bad poll for the president to all the other polls, you'll realize it's noise. There's a margin of error. Sometimes you'll see like a steady, you know, 44% for the president. And then all of a sudden it'll drop down and then spike back up. That's because sometimes polls are, are wrong. So by using an aggregate, you're more likely to get a clearer picture. Well, whenever that spike happens, all of a sudden, every outlet's going to put out a story. Trump approval rating tanks the worst ever. What about when it's the best ever? They don't write it. Of course, conservative sites do. And Trump has been enjoying some of his highest approval ratings period over the past several months. Just before the outbreak got serious, Trump's approval rating reached an all-time high in the aggregate. That means of all polls combined, the average number was higher than it's ever been. So even when they don't have bad polling, here's what you get. The release on Friday of an ABC News Ipsos poll indicating that 55% of Americans approved of Donald Trump's handling of the coronavirus, 12 points higher than the previous week, prompted another round of fatalistic chatter in certain quarters of the political establishment. Shocked by Trump's victory in 2016, some left-leaning commentators and rank-and-file Democrats alike have been stealing themselves for his re-election in 2020, noting that most presidents win second terms. That at least before the pandemic, the economy was humming along. And more recently that during moments of national disaster, Americans tend to rally around the leader they have. But these nuggets of conventional political wisdom obscure something fundamental, something that even Democrats have trouble seeing. The United States is in revolt against Donald Trump. That's right. Even though the polls are saying that they aren't and they approve of his job, let's just write that they are. And there you have it. That's how the media works. It has become so absurd. I don't know what these, what these, what these companies are going to do, to be honest, right? They've built their identity on orange man bad. So if at any point the narrative flips and Americans start liking the president, how do they just change their opinion? They can't. People would call them out and say, hey, wait a minute. You were just saying you didn't like the president. All of a sudden you come out as a Trump supporter when you see that most people like the president. I mean, it's fair. They could come out and say, you know what? We were wrong. We'll change our opinions. How about you just be honest and talk about the guy in like a regular way that regular people do? He's got a lot of problems. He's done some stuff that's pretty good. A lot of people really love him. A lot of people hate him. 
Right now, people seem to think he's doing a good job. Is that is it really that hard? Apparently it is. Because if the Atlantic, which is an orange man, bad publication, came out right now praising the Trump, praising the president, then the confirmation bias of their audience would be shattered and their audience would be outraged. So for a big network, they have to just write it, even if it is patently absurd. The United States is in revolt against Trump, even though most people approve of the job. Okay, you know, what, man, <laughs> the media is breaking. Their minds are imploding. What more can be said? I got a couple more segments coming up in a few minutes, and I will see you all shortly. In my last segment, I talked about how the media is shocked and collapsing because they have no idea how to maintain the orange man bad narrative when most Americans are now saying they approve of Trump's job in handling the global pandemic. If everyone is saying, good, good job, Trump, but you've built an identity around orange man bad, what more could you write? Well, I covered a story from The Atlantic where they basically say, no, even though, even though the polls are good, the country is revolting against Trump. Just write it. Just say it, even if it makes no sense. Well, now we can see they have a serious problem. Trump's briefings are a ratings hit. Should networks cover them live? Wait, what? (laughs) Wait, wait, wait a minute. You have a business benefit and a national benefit, and you're questioning running these press briefings? Let me let me break it down for you. Donald Trump goes on TV several times a day and says, we're here for the American people. Here's what we're doing. And according to Gallup and several polls, the majority of Americans approve of this. So the networks are getting tons and they're getting amazing ratings, apparently like six million uh, viewers on Fox News. And Trump is getting his message to the American people. Why would you question that? Oh, unless you hate Trump, unless the orange man must be bad, in which case you will stop showing his briefings. And many actually are. The New York Times says the president's viewership has rivaled the audiences for hit reality shows and primetime football. But some worry about misinformation. The New York Times says since reviving the daily White House briefing, a practice abandoned last year by an administration that bristles and outside uh, uh, bristles at outside scrutiny, Mr. Trump and his coronavirus updates have attracted an average audience of 8.5 million on cable news, roughly the viewership of the season finale of The Bachelor. Wow. Bravo. Good, sir. And the numbers are continuing to rise, driven by intense concern about the virus and the housebound status of millions of Americans who are practicing social distancing. On Monday, nearly 12.2 million people watched Trump's briefing on CNN, Fox News and MSNBC, according to Nielsen. Monday night football numbers, they say. Millions more are watching on ABC, CBS, NBC, and online streaming sites. Because of the way Nielsen ratings are measured, reliable numbers are only available for cable news. And the audience is expanding, even as Mr. Trump has repeatedly delivered information that doctors and public health officials have called ill-informed, misleading, or downright wrong. Let me just stop you there. I'm sorry, New York Times. I don't trust you. Because it was a it was, you know, a bunch of lefty media sites that claimed Trump was encouraging people to drink or to, to ingest fish tank anti-parasitic cleaning agents. That's not true. Trump cited media stories and then the media misframed it. So why should I believe the media now? Trump talked about hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin. And then some doctor said, please don't do it. And then the New York Times slaps it in saying some doctors have said it's wrong. Oh, please. He was repeating you not the times, the media in general. So I'm not interested in hearing this. They want to make an excuse for why they shut down a ratings hit, which is helping their networks. They should be happy. Guess what? To them, it seems this is where the mask truly slips. The politics 
of our country is more important to them than their own business, than the betterment of the country. Think about it. Trump is saying things Americans like. We have a serious crisis. Their businesses are a booming, but it makes Trump look good and his ratings are going up. Oof. You know what? They're going to choose the path they want. If they liked Trump, they'd air it no matter what. If they liked the money, they'd air it no matter what. But if they hate Trump and want to see a Democrat win, well, they can't allow the American people to keep watching, can they? That's why they want to shut it off. They say, the New York Times says, the president has suggested that the coronavirus is comparable to the influenza. And so did, I think, like USA Today and the Washington Post and just a ton of other outlets, man. Don't play these games, New York Times. I'd be watching. I know exactly what's going on. Liars, you're taking things out of context. Trump said the same thing Vox.com said. Vox.com on January 31st said, will this become a global dangerous pandemic? No. And many other outlets were talking about how the flu was worse. And Trump just said what the media was saying. What do you expect? They say he's also invoked the death toll of car accidents. And he has also encouraged the use of medications that have yet to be proven effective against the virus. Yes, he has encouraged the testing of and requested the FDA. You see, this is the problem. The New York Times is literally doing it right now. Trump said, hey, you see these studies? They're promising. Hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin, you know, preliminary, it's small. Trump's, I'll paraphrase the guy, but he said, it might work, it might not, it might work, it might not, but I'm hopeful. So I want the FDA to, you know, to move forward very quickly on this one. That's what he said. He didn't come out and say, it's a guarantee. He did say it was a breakthrough because we saw one study in France that showed it may have positive, uh, a positive uh, impact on, you know, treating coronavirus. There's been anecdotal uh, stories that it's worked. And now we need clinical trials and we need to get the FDA to move on it quickly because, well, it is promising. The media called it promising. Now here was, here's what they do. Yet to be proven effective. Oh, please. On Monday, a man in Arizona died after he and his wife consumed a form of chloroquine, a drug that Trump promoted on the air. And so did Andrew Cuomo, the guy they were tweeting, hashtag President Cuomo. This is my problem. I was never a fan of Donald Trump. But when you see this all day, every day, it pisses you off. The New York Times is doing nothing but lying in this whole article. He, he the, Dude, the guy who died in Arizona, he took like a spoonful of fish tank cleaner, mixed it into a soda and drank it and then died. You know, there was a funny meme. It was like Donald Trump advised everyone to wash their hands. Several people drown. No, it's not the president's fault. The media ran numerous stories about azithromycin and hydroxychloroquine. And so now Trump's not allowed to talk about it. God, this is so stupid. The New York Times is just gutter trash. How to report on Mr. Trump's fabrications has long been a source of concern among journalists and press critics. No, you're activists for the Democratic Party. I think it's funny because it is a bit exaggerated to say it. But come on, like I just explained, their ratings are through the roof. Trump's approval is through the roof. They're still contemplating shutting this down. Why? It's helping him. He's right. You're wrong. And you know it. And the only thing you can do is sacrifice your business and the people of this country because you'd rather see a Democrat in office. I kid you not. They write an article in the Atlantic titled Stay Alive, Joe Biden. Just all we need is your corporeal presence. These people are absolutely insane. They have built their businesses and their identity off of the idea that the orange man is always bad. So what happens when Trump does good? Uh Oh, you can't tell your audience that your audience is now expecting you to say Trump is bad. The emergence of the pandemic has raised the stakes 
for what had existed mostly as an insular discussion among media ethicists. Now the president's critics say lives are at risk. I would stop putting those briefings on on live TV, not out of spite, but because it's misinformation, says the lady who screeched about for three years about Russians controlling the government. Woohoo! I'm going to listen to you, Rachel Maddow. You, you, you read a segment where you claimed Russia might shut off the electricity in Fargo in the winter. Oh my! The conspiracy psychopaths of TV are complaining about Trump. Sure. The veteran anchor Ted Koppel said on Wednesday that television news executives had forgotten a crucial distinction of their profession. Training a cameraman on a live event and just letting it play out is technology, not journalism. Journalism requires editing and context, he wrote. I recognize that presidential utterances occupy a unique category. Within that category, however, President Trump has created a special compartment of his own. Oh, shut up. The idea that you would stop airing the president of the United States because you want to edit him. Oh, do you know what, man? I absolutely detest this industry. I absolutely, absolutely. These people think they're better than you. They lie. They gloat. They are driven by ego. That's the whole system. They think they're the smart ones. I'm so much smarter than you. I must tell you what is and what should be. And the orange man is bad, I say. Let me make up my own mind. All right. I don't like Trump's attitude, but I recognize that people in this country like what he's doing. I recognize that he did great for the economy. It has nothing to do with whether you like the guy or not. But these people can't handle that. They're smarter than you and they know it. So they say, I was at an event. I was invited to speak at this big broadcasting convention and they had me on a little side stage to talk about the future of news. You know, I had done a lot of mobile live streaming news at the time I was filming documentaries and working for one of the fastest growing news organizations in history. But they decided I wasn't good enough. And so they took a bunch of mainstream media people, put them up on stage and someone asked, explain uh, how, what you do, you know, or it's like, give me three reasons why you are better than say a citizen journalist. And they hemmed and they hawed, oh, oh, standards and ethics. And oh, the regular people don't know the truth. Only we know the truth. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, I'm I'm being, I'm exaggerating. It's basically what they said though, that we're the ones who know the truth. How about when we saw Micah Brzezinski and MSNBC say, it's our job to tell people what to think or something like that. You can see why they're truly angry. Their industry is collapsing and their egos are bruised. John Stewart said it. When Trump talks bad about the press, he attacks their ego. And because they're all narcissists, they take it personally and then just start lying about the president. It's the game they play. They're, they're ideologically driven. They're not driven by facts. But I guess the bigger issue is they have a tribe they must adhere to. So I, I know a lot of people say, Tim, you're so unbiased stuff like that. And I think I'm really biased. I just don't care for tribes. There is a group of politically homeless people, and we tend to say similar things because there is an objective reality. The orange man is kind of bad sometimes, but he's not that bad. And he's done a lot of things right. He was right about China. He did right by the economy. I appreciate what he did with, you know, the working out with North Korea and stuff going into Z was brave in my opinion, but he's far from perfect. He's done a bunch of stupid things, said stupid things. He's got a bad attitude and the foreign policy stuff in the Middle East has not been good. The reality is you don't like, why are we living in a world where the media can only ever say bad things and they're pathologically lying? It's like you, 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 they just can't help but lie. It's like an addiction, I guess. They can't just write that the guy who ate the, the spoonful of fish tank cleaner had nothing to do with Trump. They couldn't write that the guy who ate the fish tank cleaner heard about it from the internet, not from Trump. No, they got to make it Trump's fault. 
This is the problem with rage bait national media. And it pains me to say local media has been dying. They've been taking major hits and cuts and loss of ad revenue. And that bumps me out. You want to talk about the real journalism industry? It's local news, small town papers that know know their town, know their residents, and are trying to do right by their community. Local journalists who investigate local politicians. Today, everyone is focused on the New York Times rage bait lies. The Washington Post. They're they're the ones who came out and said, get a grip, America. The flu is way worse. Now, where are we? The New York Times is blaming Trump for saying the same thing. We're we're, going to be in a really dangerous situation as the media shifts into this national state. We're going to get rid of all the local journalists and we're going to get crap rage bait garbage like this. They just want you to hate the president. They don't care about anything else. It's the confirmation bias 100%. Now, I'll admit I'm not perfect. I rag on the Democrats all the time, but I'm one person. And, I, and I'll also recognize there is a problem in the kind of content I do as well if people only come to me. That's why typically, I, I mean, I say, make sure you watch other people, progressives and conservatives alike. Mix up your news consumption diet. But when you go to the New York Times, they're going to feed you a, a, a singular vision that's just completely absurd. I'm going to leave it there. Next segment will be coming up in a few minutes, and I will see you all shortly. We actually have a bit of good news. There was this viral video put out by CBS showing a bunch of spring breakers laughing and gloating, saying, we don't care about the coronavirus. We are not going to be stopped. It is Miami party on. Everybody got mad. In fact, I believe it was a university in Florida that announced that five students who went on this spring break excursion tested positive for COVID-19. But one of the people in that video has issued a long apology. It's a legit apology. It is a respectable apology. Dude, you deserve mad respect for this. And I want to do a bit of a a more positive story, but I got to admit, we do have some bad news because there's another story here. Potentially younger people are at risk. Uh, So so check it out. You have all these young people who think they're invincible, right? This dude said his name is Brady Sluter. Don't be arrogant and think you're invincible like myself, said the now infamous spring breaker. The dude's apology is legit. I'll read it to you. But he was wrong about what he said. You know, I'm going to do I, I, if I, he said, if I get Corona, I get Corona. A 17 year old died, tested positive for Corona, and they think he may have died of the coronavirus. They're not entirely sure. Some officials have already walked it back a little bit, but it may be the case. Don't think you're invincible. Young people have died. It was a doctor in China, 34 years old, who died. Now, it mostly does affect people with preexisting conditions. And the, big, the, the most at risk group are senior citizens. But you're not invincible. Check this out. The spring breaker who was IDGAF about coronavirus has apologized. A spring breaker went viral last week for not giving a crap about the coronavirus during a television interview has now apologized. Brady Sluter, a high school graduate and SoundCloud rapper from Milford, Ohio, became the face of young people not taking the pandemic seriously after appearing in a CBS News video filmed in Miami. Quote, if I get corona, I get corona. Sluter said in the video, at the end of the day, I'm not going to let it stop me from partying. We've been waiting for Miami spring break for a while. We are just out here having a good time. Whatever happens, happens. And you see, the big risk is that he could get an infection and probably be fine and then go on to infect thousands more people. And our economy is in crisis. It's, it's shutting down. People are freaking out. Democrats fighting Republicans. Everything's going nuts. The last thing we need are morons going around getting sick and spreading the virus around. But dude made a legit apology. Mad respect, dude. Mad, mad respect. They said the video came amid backlash against Florida beachgoers who continued to pack beaches, ignoring social distancing guidelines designed to stop the spread of the virus. On Monday, Sluter posted a public apology on his Instagram account, 
the Cincinnati Inquirer first reported. Sluder apologized for what, he's, for what he said in the video, saying, I wasn't aware of the severity of my actions and comments. Check this out. He said, I would like to sincerely apologize for the insensitive comment I made in regards to COVID-19 while in spring break. I wasn't aware of the severity of my actions and comments. I'd like to take this time to own up to the mistakes I've made and apologize to the people I've offended. Like many others, I have elderly people who I adore more than anything in this world and other family members who are at risk. And I understand how concerning this disease is for all of us. Our generation may feel invincible, like I did when I commented, but we have a responsibility to listen and follow the recommendations in our communities. I will continue to reflect and learn from this and continue to pray for our well-being. I deeply apologize from the bottom of my heart for my insensitivity and unawareness of my actions. There's actually a little bit more. He, he goes on and actually in the, in the, in like the, the text portion of the post says a bit more about how we all make mistakes and stuff like this. I want to absolutely stress this is awesome. Everybody can make mistakes and I'm willing to give people a, a second chance. And this actually is how you handle the learning moment. I remember when Roseanne, remember Roseanne when she, when she said that offensive tweet, so they just destroyed her life. No, man, you make it a learning moment. You help people understand why we do and don't do things. Dude made a really dumb move and said, I don't care. I'll do whatever I want. And then he realized it was a mistake. Why? I bet a bunch of people came down hard on him like, bro, that was stupid. And he probably started feeling bad like, oh man, why did I say that? I'm going to apologize. Thank you for apologizing, bro. I really, really, really appreciate that. And I hope this message resonates with a lot of other young people. Here's why I think it's important. We got another story. 17-year-old boy with coronavirus dies. Authorities say a 17-year-old boy who tested positive for the coronavirus has died, but it's not yet clear whether the virus was to blame. Now, I think it's fair to point out, I don't want to freak anybody out. It may well be that it was something else. But men, heed this warning. Andrew Cuomo said that there's, right now they're down to about 15% of people infected being hospitalized. That means if 1,000 people get sick, they need 150 beds. Guess what? There's 8 million people in New York, man. It's not, it, it is mostly older people, but it does affect everybody. Between the ages of 20 and 54, that's 29% of those who are in the hospital. That's a big age bracket for sure. Because they, they start going smaller and smaller after that. And I think it's because of potential mortality rates. So we, we end up do seeing more people in their 40s and 50s in the hospital than like 20 to 30. But it still is possible that you could be 17 years old and end up in the hospital. I want to read this story so that young people, if you're young or know people who are young, you get a sense of why it's so important. However, before I do, I got to give a shout out to Virtual Shield for one important reason. These are trying times, man. Everybody's taking major economic hits. Virtual Shield is helping me keep my business running. I don't normally do big promo spots, but Virtual Shield has always been there for me to help support the channel. So I'm going to shout them out. Check out hidewithtim.com uh, to, to, to take the offer up from Virtual Shield. It's a virtual private network service. The easiest way to explain what it does is it's a simple layer of security for you as you browse the internet. When you go online, there are people who could be snooping. They might want to intercept some of your data. VPNs help protect against this stuff. So to a certain degree, they might stop government intrusions or just, you know, hackers who want to snatch up your data and take your, take your stuff. Go to Hide With Tim. They've got a 30% off promo. It's $3.49 per month. And uh, check it out. The easiest way I explain it. You put a lock on your front door, but, you, but when, when has anyone ever kicked it in or broken in your house? They don't, right? But you still do. You still lock your windows at night, even though no one's really climbing through it. It's smart to have basic security. And Virtual Shield provides that. It's a, again, it's a virtual private network service. Hide with Tim, 30% off. And once again, man, everybody's getting hurt right now, you know, during the, the economic slowdown. And so I'm eternally grateful to the sponsors that I do have, particularly Virtual Shield. They're my first sponsor, man. I really appreciate it. 
Let's read the story from ABC News. Los Angeles County health officials backtracked Tuesday on their announcement that a child died from coronavirus, saying it's possible the death was caused by something else. During their daily briefing, the county health department said the unidentified child from the city of Lancaster was among four new deaths. Hours later, after Governor Gavin Newsom had cited the death of the teenager as evidence the virus can strike anyone, the county issued a new statement. Though early tests indicated a positive result for COVID-19, the case is complex and there may be an alternate explanation for this fatality. And the case will need evaluation by the US CDC, the statement said. The important point I want to make sure is I want to be very, very fair. This may not be a COVID related case. However, it's important to keep in mind you aren't invincible. Whatever may have happened with this kid, 17 year old died, tested positive for coronavirus, it seems. We'll see how the story pans out. But they're not the only young person to have died or been hospitalized. Lancaster Mayor R. Rex Paris said a 17 year old boy has been hospitalized with respiratory problems and died from septic shock, a reaction to a widespread infection that can cause dangerously low blood pressure and organ failure. Paris said the boy's father also has coronavirus and worked in a job where he has close contact with the public. The mayor said the boy may have had long-term health problems in the past, but was healthy recently. He said he doesn't doubt that the teen died from complications for COVID-19. We are the first city in the nation to lose a child, and that is unbearable to me. So I think we can break this down. The kid died from septic shock, but it sounds like it was a complication from COVID-19, from the coronavirus. A report last week by the CDC found no coronavirus deaths in the U.S. among people 19 and under. That age group accounted for less than 3% of all hospitalizations. As with many other communities, Lancaster, a Mojave desert community of 170,000 north of L.A., has been struggling to find tests and protective gear to deal with the virus. Paris said the city has ordered 100,000 test kits from Europe. Meanwhile, Newsom and others took issue with the president with President Donald Trump's announcement on Tuesday that he wants the U.S. to be opened up and just raring, uh, raring, roaring to go by raring to go by Easter some two weeks away and far sooner than medical experts expect the fast spreading outbreak will begin to diminish. Noting the results are still pending for thousands of Californians who have taken the virus tests. The governor said it will take at least until May to determine if quarantine and testing measures have reduced the spread of the virus enough to consider modifying tough stay at home measures. I'll wrap it up with one simple point. Doctors are not economists. Economists are not doctors. And we need to hear from both. If the economy takes a major hit, people will die. Some people become depressed. Some people might take their own lives. That's, that's horrifying. But many people will lose access to medicine. Many people will lose access to resources, food. And we're already seeing many of these hospitals struggle with not being able to pay for what they need now. So what, we, what do we get? We get a major stimulus. I think we need to take health uh, uh, first and foremost. Talk to the doctors. Fauci says that, you know, it's probably too soon, but would be flexible. Donald Trump is a trade guy. So he's looking at this saying, I understand. But from an economic standpoint, the doctors don't get it. Trump's Trump's seen New York City in its worst when the economy was trash and the city was collapsing. He's seen what happens when there's when there's serious depressions and recessions. We got to understand it's not one problem we're facing right now. The coronavirus sparked an economic collapse. So the cure could potentially be worse than the disease. I take everything the doctors say. I, I, I listen to the, you know, these people. They know better than I do. What about economists? We need to check what the risk is. So back to the main point. This dude who went out on, on spring break did the right thing. And he apologized for this because you are not invincible. And we are facing a very large problem. So I hope this whole segment just shows you how serious it is. And, I'll, and I'll, I will, you know, I was going to say, with, I was going to say I was going to end with one point out one more for you. 
I stated this earlier, New York has 8 million people. If 15% of those who get sick are hospitalized, that means New York, who has about 10,000 available beds right now, can only withstand around 70,000 people getting sick out of 8 million. And it's a novel virus rapidly spreading. You see why people are freaking out. They could run out of beds. And once they do, even young people will start dying. I'll leave it there. Thanks for hanging out. Stick around. I will be back tomorrow at 10 a.m. And uh, I'll see you all then.